to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Colossians chapter 1 and verses 9 and 10. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Sorry, let me stop there. Uh, Increasing in the knowledge of God. This is the word of the Lord. So last week, uh, in our first worship service of the year, uh, we talked about putting on the new man in Christ. So we talked about what it means to become a new person, and we talked about how that starts with the gospel. And I tried last week to encourage us all to make it our aim to put off the old person and to walk as a new creation in Christ more and more throughout the year. And so today, what I want to do is talk a bit more about that in detail. Now, most of what we're going to talk about today is not something new. It's things that I've preached on uh, in various points many times. So it's stuff that you may have heard in some form before. But as we begin the year, both as individuals and as a church, I think it's important to be reminded of what our goal is as disciples of Jesus. I mean, what does it mean to be a disciple? That's what we are. You know, we, we use the term Christians, but to be a Christian is to be a disciple of Jesus. And what does that mean? Uh, what is our purpose as an individual Christian? Uh, what is our purpose as a church? These are important questions, and I hope today's lesson will kind of set the stage for everything else that we do throughout the rest of the year. And what I want to say simply today is that our goal and our purpose, both as individual Christians and as a church together, can basically be uh, laid out in two points. And those two points are the pursuit of God and the pursuit of fruitfulness. The pursuit of God and the pursuit of fruitfulness. So first, the pursuit of God. So the heart of discipleship, the heart of following Jesus, really starts with the pursuit of God. Now, what is the the greatest command according to Jesus? What does Jesus say is the most important command, the greatest command? He says it is to love the Lord with all the Lord, excuse me, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Right? There's some versions, uh, another version says your heart, soul, mind, and strength, basically with all of your being. Um, There's also a a famous uh, phrase in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, and it kind of builds on this point. When it says that man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's actually, it kind of has a question and answer. It says, what is the chief end of man? What's our purpose? And it says his chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And also there's a a theologian named Herman uh, Bavink. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how you say his name, but I'm going to go with that. Herman Bavink said, God and God alone is man's highest good. God and God alone is man's highest good. So we must understand that the purpose for which we ultimately exist and the only pursuit that ultimately matters is the pursuit of having communion with God. 
And that is because God is the highest good of all mankind. He is the source of all beauty and all goodness, and the only one who can give us eternal purpose and meaning. And one day, God has promised that he's going to bring the fullness of his goodness and his beauty into all creation. His presence and goodness will fill everything. And again, this is a promise we see all throughout Scripture. Uh, We see it, for example, prophesied in Habakkuk 2.14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. There will be no place where the knowledge of God is not present. And we see it promised also in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 28, where Paul says that the day is coming when God will be all in all. That is, when God fills all things. His presence is everywhere, filling all of creation. And at the foundation of discipleship is the desire for that to be true in my life right now. And that's what we read in our scripture reading just a moment ago. Paul's prayer is that the Christians in Ephesus will know God, know his love and his goodness, and ultimately be filled with him. In other words, Paul's prayer is that what God promises to do to all creation one day in the future will happen to God's people right now in the present. Now, what God promises to do in the future will come into his people now in the present. So what we see is that this this desire is not just an emotional thing. It's not just like, I feel at peace. I feel happy because I love God. That's important, but that's not what this prayer is about. It's not just an emotional thing. It's not just a feeling. It's an objective truth in your life that can be seen by others and noticed by you. When God's presence comes to all creation, when he fills everything, that's not just some subjective thing of how I feel about it. That is an objective reality. And so when we pray this, we're praying for that objective reality to, be, to come true in my life right now. And that's what the, the foundation of discipleship really is all about. It's about finding deeper communion with God, being filled with his goodness and love and presence right now, today. It is about, as Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer, God's kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven, in my life right now. God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven in my life right now. As the, uh, the American pastor J.T. English has said, being a whole disciple of Jesus is saying to God, if you are bringing your presence to this world, start with me and start now. If that's your promise, if that's what you're going to do, start here, start now with me. And what that means is that God is both the source and the goal of discipleship. He is the source in that It is his goodness and it is his beauty and his glory that drives us to want to know him more. I mean, the more we realize how wonderful he truly is, the natural desire is to know him more deeply. The more we see what he has done for us in Jesus, the more we comprehend his love in the gospel, the more that drives us to know him. That's the the driving force for this. As John says in 1 John, we love him because he first loved us. We pursue God because he first pursued us in Jesus Christ. And so he is the source of the life of the disciple. He is the source of this pursuit. But he is also the goal. So he's the starting point and he's the ending point. The alpha and the omega, we might say, right? He is the starting and the ending of goal of discipleship. Because that is also what we're ultimately seeking. Our goal is not just to live a better life or to be happier, our goal is to actually know God himself. I mean, think about it this way. If you, you know, are driving along or if you happen to just, I don't know, be at home, and you look out your window and you see a beautiful sunset 
and you're looking out there, you see this. Why do you continue looking? Why do you maybe, you know, well, you may not pull your car over. Um, I have done that one time just because I want to take a picture. But um, you may not pull your car over, but you may go outside your house. You may step outside and, and kind of just look at it. Why would you do that? Is it because you're thinking, looking at this will make me happy. I need to be happy, so I'm going to go do that. No, of course not. That doesn't go through your mind. You just look because it's beautiful. It's worth looking at on its own, and so you naturally look. That's your natural reaction. That's beautiful. I want to see it. We are naturally pulled towards that beauty. And that's how it is with God. The goal of discipleship is to truly find deeper communion with him simply because of how good he is. Now, of course, knowing God will produce joy and it will produce peace, but the pursuit of God is not primarily utilitarian. The pursuit of God is primarily about acknowledging his beauty and his goodness. So as we go into this year, that's where we need to start. I mean, listen to the words of, of uh, Psalm 27 and verse 8. Okay, Psalm 27 and verse 8, David writes, You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. And that's what God wants for us. And that's what our hearts truly long for, is to see God's face, to know him, to experience deep fellowship with him. And often what we're doing in our lives is we're looking in other places for to, to fill that longing. We're looking to other things to fill that longing. And I'm not saying all those other things are bad, but what I'm saying is at their best, what they do is they point towards God. And at their worst, they draw us away from that pursuit. And so what we have to do is ask ourselves as Christians, as disciples, am I going to seek the face of God this year? Will I pursue fellowship with the Lord this year? Or will I let infinitely lesser pursuits control my life? Are infinitely lesser pursuits going to take the majority of my time rather than the pursuit of God? And if we realize that the depths of, God, the depths of God's love and beauty and goodness are available to us now, that we will long to see his face and to be filled with his fullness. And then we can truly pray, as we said before, if you are bringing your fullness, if you're bringing your presence into this world, then start with me and start now. We can pray like Paul did. That we would know the height and the, the depth and the breadth of his love and to be filled with his fullness. Because we know that's a prayer that can be answered now. But then the result of that pursuit, the result of that pursuit of God is going to be spiritual fruit. Now it's important, I think, that we get the order right here. It's incredibly important. We do not pursue spiritual fruit so that we can get to know God. That is not why we pursue spiritual fruitfulness. It's not so we can get to know God. Rather, we pursue God, and the result of that is going to be spiritual fruit. We have to get this order right. So here's the thing about this, this pursuit business. Okay? If you pursue righteous living, if you pursue obedience to God's commands, but it is divorced from the pursuit of God himself, then the result is going to be either self-righteousness or exhaustion. It's going to be one of the two. Either you're going to think, Look how amazing I am. Look how much, how much I've impressed God with how good I am and all the things that I do right. Or you're going to be exhausted and just feeling like I am an utter failure and God cannot love me because I cannot do it. So if you're being true with yourself, it's going to be the latter. If you're being dishonest with yourself, it's going to be the former. But one way or the other, result is not going to be good. But if you pursue God himself, if you pursue his goodness and glory and beauty, then the natural result will be all kinds of spiritual fruit. The result will be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, so on and so forth, right? So we need to get the order right here. We need to remember that it is the gospel, it is God himself, it is his work and his power which enables us to live the life of a disciple. 
But that pursuit really does need to lead to spiritual fruit. If I am truly pursuing God, if I truly am longing to be filled with his fullness, then spiritual fruit is an unavoidable byproduct. It's unavoidable. Remember Ephesians 2 verse 10. For we are his workmanship. Starts with God, starts with him, not with me, but with what he's done. But what? Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The gospel saves us. God himself and his presence through his spirit empowers us. And the result of that saving power is spiritual fruitfulness. But I think the question we have, and and that can easily come up, and it's a natural, it's a good question, is what exactly is spiritual fruit? What does it mean to be fruitful spiritually? What does that mean? Right? Sometimes we use these phrases and we can kind of just toss them around and we kind of assume everybody knows what we're talking about. But if I really ask somebody, define that for me, they're like, uh, you know, it, kind of, it just means, I don't know, being good, I guess. I, don't, I mean, it's not really clear to people what it is. So what is it? I mean, when we come back around to December, right, what would it look like for you to have had a spiritually fruitful year? And I think biblically speaking, it looks like two things. First, it looks like you looking more like Jesus. Okay, it looks like you looking more like Jesus. What we may call spiritual formation Remember last week we read Colossians 3 and verse 10, which says we have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And Romans 8, 29 also says God planned for us. He planned in advance for us to be conformed to the image of his son. So God's purpose for us as Christians and our goal as disciples of Jesus is to look more and more like Jesus, to have our lives transformed by his life. And that means not just my actions, not just my deeds, although that's involved, but also my heart. The things that other people can't see, Jesus knows. The things that other people can't see, Jesus does see. He's he's aware of them. And so the question is not just what do my actions look like, but what is my heart like? What's actually inside me? Who am I in the depths of my being? And God wants us to be transformed more and more into the image of Jesus in that part of us. Not just the service, but the inside. But again, what would that look like? What would it look like if at the end of the year, my life had been shaped by the life of Jesus? Well, let's look at 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verses 3 through 8. 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 through 8. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing... They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to notice something. One of the things that's easy to do is to kind of look at this passage, and a lot of times people will kind of start a little bit later on in the passage, and they'll say, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith, and so on and so forth. So they'll say, make every effort. You see, there you go, make every effort. If you forget the first part of this passage, you have completely misinterpreted this point. Because again, you have to start with his work. It starts with his power, his calling, his promises, his gift of himself. That's where it starts. If you don't have that, you will never be effective. You can pursue all day long and you will never get anywhere because you're doing it without God. 
And it is because of what he has done, though. It is because of what he has done. It's because of the gospel for this very reason, right? You got to have that part in there. For what reason? Because of what God has done. Not because of what you've done, because of what God has done. For this very reason, our response should be to make every effort to pursue these qualities. And these qualities are what it means to look like Jesus. When faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love, and things like these, all the other lists that we can think of, when these kinds of things are in us, and not just in us, but increasing, more and more, growing, not just in us and stable, but growing over and more and more, that is spiritual fruitfulness. So at the end of this year, if you have seen these qualities increasing in you, if you can see more fruits of the Spirit filling your heart, right? More love, more joy, more peace and patience and kindness and goodness and so on. If you can see more of those qualities in you and see, the, see, you, see in you the life of Jesus, not just again as outward actions, but as a transformation of the inward person, the inner man, then you will know you have been further transformed to the image of Jesus. And you will know that no matter what else has happened, it has been a fruitful year. The rest of the year may have felt just like junk. I mean, maybe horrible things have happened, but you know what? You have produced spiritual fruit. You have grown. It has been fruitful. It has been productive. So that's the first part of what it means to be spiritually fruitful, right? It means that that inward man, that transformation, that spiritual change that God is producing within us. But there is another kind of spiritual fruit which we need to talk about, which is spiritual reproduction. Spiritual reproduction. Remember what God says to mankind in Genesis 1.28. He creates man, right? Man and woman. He creates humankind. And what does he say to them? Be fruitful and multiply. That's like, the, it's the first command. Be fruitful and multiply. And that's really what the Great Commission is all about. When we go to the beginning of the church, when God is now creating a new man in Christ Jesus, what does Jesus say? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. In other words, be fruitful and multiply, right? So where we started in Genesis, we start at, we might say, the regenesis. We start with the church. Be fruitful and multiply. So part of being fruitful is not just me personally growing to be more like Jesus, but also me multiplying, spiritual reproduction. Now, I know in modern times especially, this would kind of make people uneasy, Right? Because we're like, well, you don't talk about religion. Don't talk about those things with people. Nobody, you know, needs to hear that. We we're kind of talking about that earlier. You know, sometimes people are just like, yeah, I don't, you know, let's not talk about that. I don't need to hear all that stuff. And so we kind of feel uncomfortable about it, you know, and it's understandable given the, the environment in which we live. But I want you to think with me for a moment here. Just kind of imagine with me for a moment. What if at the end of 2023, you could look back and see that you had a meaningful spiritual uh, impact on another person? What if you could look and say, I know that God used me to produce spiritual fruit in another human being, and another person made in his image? What if at the end of 2023, you could see a person who is being transformed into the image of Jesus, following him, saved by the gospel, because you reached out? Now, I'm not saying you had to be the one to teach them every single point and baptize them personally necessarily, although that's great. But what if because you invited them to worship or shared your testimony with them of what God's been doing in your life, or because you invited them maybe to one of the, the various Discovery Bible studies that we're doing right now or something of that nature, maybe you just asked them to spend some time in prayer. What if because of that, a person came to pursue and know the Lord? 
And wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be an awesome experience to know that you had been able to plant that seed in another person, that God had used you to impact somebody in that way? Or what if because you took the time with some other Christian brother or sister and you encouraged them and you prayed with them and for them, what if they found new spiritual fruit this year? What if they produced more fruit by you producing fruit? Wouldn't that be amazing? You see, spiritual fruitfulness isn't just about me. It's about me pursuing God, absolutely, drawing near to Jesus, absolutely, and then helping others to do the same. It's not just about what I do, but it's also about me spreading that to other people. Simply put, it's not just about spiritual maturity, but also about spiritual reproduction. And if you want the full joy of spiritual fruitfulness at the end of this year, I would encourage you to be pursuing that side of fruitfulness as well. Not just personal spiritual growth, but spiritual reproduction. Right? In other words, not just growing, but sharing your growth with others. Not just you following Jesus, but helping others follow Jesus with you. Now the question, of course, is, how is that possible? How is it possible for me to come to know God more deeply this year? Because if I'm honest with myself, you know, you, and it does have to start there. You've got to be honest with yourself, because if you're dishonest with yourself, you'll never see the needs you have. But if you're honest with yourself, you can see in your heart all the problems that you have, right? I can see, if I'm honest with myself, my impatience, my, you know, rudeness, my selfishness, my, you know, lust or my greed or whatever it is. I can see all of those aspects in me. And I'm like, I mean, I want to do that, but how do I do that? How is it possible for not just my actions, not just the things on the surface that other people see, not just for people to see a smiling face, but to actually experience a new person that Christ has produced in me through the Spirit. How is it possible for even my heart to be more deeply transformed into the image of Jesus Christ? How is it possible for me to plant seeds of spiritual reproduction in other people? I mean, if I think about it, it definitely sounds amazing. But when I think about the path to get there, then it feels overwhelming. And so let me say three things here and then we'll close. First, it is possible only through the power of the gospel. And what I mean is if you think that you can grow and mature and be fruitful by just trying harder, I'm just going to try harder this year, that's what I'm going to do, then you will end up overwhelmed and exhausted. I mean, um, you know, I, I hate to bring this up because we were just talking about this a minute ago, but how many people join a gym at the beginning of the year and a few months in, I'm not saying it's going to happen with you, but I'm just saying, you know, we were talking about it, but how many people join a gym and they're like, I'm going to try harder this year. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to do this. And then, you know, a month later, it's like, well, I give up on that, you know, right? Trying harder. I mean, I'm not saying it's never useful, but my point is that's not what we're doing as Christians. We're not just trying harder, right? We need to remember what God has done for us. We need to start by resting. The first thing we do is by resting in the gospel remembering what God has done for us and in us through Jesus and remembering the power he has given through the Spirit. That's a really hard thing for a lot of people to do because a lot of people want to do something. They want to be productive. They want to feel like they're engaging. They're the one driving it. They want to be in control. And what Jesus says in the gospel, what God tells us in the gospel is, you're not in control. You never were. You never will be. And you start by stop moving around and just rest in what I've done for you. You start there. That's the starting point. You start by trusting in me, start by resting in what I have done for you, not what you think you're doing for me. That's the starting point. And as we do that, we remember what God has done in us and through us and for us 
uh, through Jesus Christ. And then we remember the power he has given to us through his spirit. And it is only that gospel which will give us the grace and peace that we need to pursue these goals. Because these are high goals. These are difficult goals, right? We shouldn't look at these and just be like, oh, that should be something anybody can do. No, this is something nobody can do without God's power. And so if you want to really see your life transformed to the image of the only God, the God who has existed, who alone has existed from all eternity, who alone has being itself as his nature, if you want to be filled and be transformed into the image of that God, it has to start with what he has done. And only that will transform us and allow us to move forward. So it starts there. It must start there. The gospel has to be our anchor. Any other foundation is doomed for failure. Secondly, it is only possible through dedication to prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting is really a kind of an extension of the gospel, if you really think about it. Now, how so? What does it have to do with the gospel, per se? Well, many world religions, and I think, unfortunately, many Christians sometimes, treat prayer as a kind of uh, almost an incantation, you know, um, I don't know if, you, if you've ever seen the Harry Potter movie, but in the first one, there's this thing where uh, the, one of the main characters, Hermione, she says um, they're trying to do this thing called Wingardium Leviosa, and, and the Wingardium Leviosa makes things fly. It's just like some kind of thing. And these uh, boys, they're saying it, and you know, he's saying it all wrong. He's trying to do the, the spell, and he's just not saying it the right way, so the effect is you know, not all that great. And so she's saying, not, you know, Leviosa or whatever. She says, you have to say it in a certain way. And that's kind of how a lot of people treat prayer. It's like, you have to say things in a certain way. If you say it just the right way, then God's going to listen. That's, that's how he'll listen, right? Um, and that's how a lot, of, a lot of people in, especially the world religions, but again, even Christians treat it. If you pray the right way, if you pray hard enough, if you say the right words, or maybe if you even give enough money, God's going to listen to you. But that is not what Christian prayer is. Right? And that's not what Christian fasting is. Christian prayer and fasting is simply the practice of relying on God. That's what it is. Okay? Prayer and fasting is about me recognizing my helplessness. It is realized, actualized, practiced helplessness. It's saying, I am not in charge. I do not have the power I need. I need you. So that's what we're doing in Christian prayer. We recognize our powerlessness, our need for God's power, And we simply ask him as our father to help us. We're not trying to impress him with our words. We're not trying to, you know, show off to him and think that'll get his attention. Right? We're just talking to him as our father who loves us. And we're saying, God, I need your help. I'm helpless without you. And that's what fasting is. Fasting is like an exclamation point on that kind of prayer. It's saying, I am so in need of you. I need you more than food, more than the things that I eat, more than the things I enjoy in my daily life. I need you. So if you'll dedicate yourself to that kind of prayer and fasting throughout this year, I am certain you will see God doing amazing things. Not because you've earned it, but because you've simply humbled yourself before him and asked. You'll see God working in your heart, transforming you more into the image of Jesus. And you'll see God using you to impact others. I mean, what if, just, just what if, you dedicated regular times of fasting and prayer for God to rid you of sinful attitudes, of all the, the you know, bad things you see in your heart, all those things that are part of the old person, what if you've dedicated regular times of prayer and fasting to get rid of that and for God to create a clean heart in you? Do you think he would do that? Do you think he would just look at that and be like, eh, I don't have time for that? No, of course not. He's going he's gonna to answer that prayer in some form or fashion. And what if, 
This year, you dedicated regular times of prayer and fasting for even just one person that you want to see become a disciple of Jesus. What if you prayed for your neighbor or your spouse or your coworker or whoever? Look, I cannot tell you what the answer will look like. I can't tell you God has infinitely more wisdom than I do. So I can't tell you all the ways that God's going to work. But I can tell you that if you are praying for spiritual fruit, he will answer. I can promise you that because that is the promise of Jesus himself. I can't promise you it because I have some special knowledge. I can promise it because Jesus promised it. Finally, though, this is also possible only through Christian community. Hey, every single person here at the Matsudo Church is needed. You need others, but they also need you, right? It's not just that you need others, although you do, but they need you too. You bring something spiritually valuable into the life of this church that no other person can. And so we need each other, and we need each other more than just on Sunday mornings. I mean, Sunday mornings are, are very important, but we need each other more than that. And the thing is, I know, you know, we're so busy. Life is busy, schedules, it's stressful, everything, all of that. It can seem overwhelming. But again, I can promise you, if you will dedicate to spend more time together this year, if, if we can, you know, spend more time just in prayer, it doesn't always have to be some huge planned out thing. We're just going to come together and pray for each other, pray with each other. You know, maybe we'll do a discovery Bible study. Whatever it is, I can guarantee you, if you will spend extra time in that, you will see spiritual fruit, uh, fruitfulness from that time together, and you will see fruitfulness in the lives of other people. And so this is my prayer for all of us this year, that we will pursue these two things, that we will pursue God and that we will pursue fruitfulness. My prayer is that all of us together will come to know more deeply the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of the love of God and Christ for us. And that we will all be more deeply filled with his fullness. And I'm convinced and confident that if we will pursue these things together this year, no matter what the year holds, no matter what craziness might happen, 2023 will be an incredibly fruitful year together. We will see abundant blessings that will bring us joy and peace. I don't care what happens. Anything can happen. But it will be a fruitful year if we're pursuing these things together. So let's keep that in mind as we uh, go into the coming year. And uh, let's close uh, this lesson this morning with prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your great love for us. We're so thankful that in Jesus Christ you revealed to us the height and the width and the depth and the breadth of your love and that you have offered to put your fullness in us. That even now as Christians that you dwell in us, that you have chosen to dwell in us through your spirit. <coughs> even though we are sinful people, Lord. We're so grateful for that blessing. Father, I pray that this year you would produce in us abundant spiritual fruit. Father, we want to be fruitful. And the thing we know first is that we don't really know how to do it, God. We just lack wisdom. We lack understanding. We lack focus. We lack the willpower. We lack so many things, Father. And so we just pray that you would give us those things so that we can be fruitful, so that we can glorify you in our lives. I pray, Father, that you would help us to have not just changed actions, but changed hearts. Hearts that don't just smile on the outside while we're bitter and angry at people on the inside, but hearts that truly uh, forgive and love and uh, show concern for others around us, Father. Help us to be people of peace. Help us to be people of love because that is what you've shown to us. And Father, I pray that you help us not just to grow spiritually in our own lives, to be filled with the fruits of the Spirit, but even that we would share those with others. Father, give us opportunities this year, please, Lord, each and every one of us. I pray that each and every one of us, Father, would have opportunities to reach out to others and to be spiritually reproductive, to actually be able to plant seeds 
and to be fruitful in that way as well, Father. Lord, please bless the Matsudo Church this year. Collectively, help us to be fruitful. Father, not for our glory, not just to have different numbers or anything like that, but simply so that more people would come to know you and so that we can be fulfilling the command that your son gave to us. And Father, we pray also for these things so that you would be glorified, that your name would come to be honored and worshipped throughout uh, this area and in the surrounding cities, Father. Father, please be with us this year. Walk with us, walk before us, in front of us, beside us, behind us, and may your uh, hand be above us in all things. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.